Welcome to everyone to physical service, especially if this is your first time back in a long time or if this is your first time ever joining us. Um, my name is Young, as mentioned, uh, pastor here at New Life. Um, hopefully, I won't have too many, you know, um, uh, moments when I'm coughing or anything like that, but please do excuse me if that is the case. Um, I have tested negative twice since the end of my isolation, so it should be okay. We'll see how we go. All right. A big thank you to Pastor Mac Hang as well, who stepped in uh, very last minute as well last week. Um, so if he is listening, you know, big thank you to him. Um, how about we pray before we get into the sermon itself, not only for ourselves in the service, um, but just like in uh, pre-service prayer, the invasion of uh, Ukraine, and ultimately uh, for the glory of God as well. Let's spend some time praying. Uh, Father, we turn to you, um, our judge, our deliverer, and our defender. We know, Lord, that even in moments when we feel most hopeless and most helpless, separated by a quite some distance uh, from where the invasion is happening. And we know, Lord, that you are hope and that you are the help that we look to. And so we look to the hills from where our help comes and we ask, Lord, that you would be with uh, the people um, at the front lines, the people that are uh, under oppression, the people that are under attack. And we ask, Lord, that you would stay the hand of the attacker, God, and that you would help uh, the people that are being attacked to find hope in you and to find refuge in you. Lord, we seek peace in this world, even as we understand that peace might not come until you return. And yet we turn to you, God, knowing that you have uh, a mighty plan in place. And we know, Lord, that you are the one who has the victory. And so we turn to you, God. We ask, Lord, that you would comfort the people of the Ukraine that you would be with them. Indeed, Lord, that you would be the balm to their souls, that you would guide them in these times, in these most uncertain times, uh, that you give them wisdom to depend upon you, just as we're doing now uh, for ourselves. We ask, Lord, that you would be with us throughout this service, that you'd open up our ears that we might be able to hear you, that you might open up our eyes that we might be able to see what it is that you have in plan for new life and indeed for each and every single one of us individually. For our hearts, Lord, would you make it fertile ground uh, that we might be able to receive the seed of discipleship, that we might grow, that we might remain uh, attached to the vine and that we might bear much fruit. Be with us throughout this service. Help us to grow in our love and our knowledge of who you are. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, a couple of weeks ago, when we, uh, when we met together, we looked at what God's timing meant. We opened up our sermon series, Kairos, which you see on screen behind me. Uh, we began to talk about the season or the opportunity or the timing that God has appointed. And this kind of sets the groundwork for what we're going to be talking about for the rest of the series this week and for the next two weeks as well as we take a look at the timing behind three of the focus areas that we'll be uh, looking towards in the next few years at New Life. So discipleship, which you can see from the title today, is what we're focusing on, uh, families and church planting. Now in our passage today, we see a very few, uh, very familiar things. 
1 Thessalonians 5, 1 to 2 opens up, about the times and the seasons, brothers and sisters, you do not need anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. If you've been with us at New Life for a little while, you might recognize some of the words that are uh, on the screen in front of you, some of the words that are in your Bibles, the phrases that are used in these verses. The passage starts out talking about the times and the seasons, or in the uh, original language, the chronos and the kairos, and we talked about these things in that opening sermon. And then it moves on to talking about the day of the Lord. You guys remember what the day of the Lord means, which we saw two weeks ago and several times throughout the last year as well. It's the harvest time, or the time of final judgment, which some of you guys might be familiar with hearing about uh, in church, which comes at God's appointed time. That time that is still to come, it's caused many people throughout history to sit and wonder and worry and grow anxious about when that exact time is. When is it gonna happen? Do I have enough time to go get married, to you know, do all the fun stuff that I had in mind before that time comes and we worry? It might cause us, as it did to the Thessalonian church, to wonder about the exact timing of this as well. From the example of the Thessalonians though, we can see that becoming obsessed, becoming enamored with the timing of these things will open us up to false teaching about when this exact time is. And this will inevitably lead to doubts about whether or not we might be actually prepared for that day. We worry so much about when that day is that we don't end up actually preparing for that day. We just think about when that might be. What does the Bible actually tell us about when the day of the Lord is? Matthew 24, 36 reads, Now concerning that day and hour, no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, this is Jesus talking, except the Father alone. Like, this is one of the most puzzling instances of Scripture in the Bible, right? First Thessalonians 5, 4 reads, But you, brothers and sisters, are not in the dark for this day to surprise you like a thief. We see here in this pair of verses, the exact timing is not known to anyone, in heaven or on earth, except the Father alone. Knowing this, we should never be taken astray by anyone who claims to have knowledge about when this day is. Doesn't matter who it is. If one day, COVID finally overtakes my brain and I go crazy, and I tell you, I know exactly when it is, you must fire me at that exact moment. You must not listen to me. We can't claim to know this because that would be tantamount to claiming that we have a status above the Son of God. We cannot follow anyone who claims knowledge of this. And yet at the same time, the verse from Thessalonians there, it actually reassures us, it reminds us that we know for sure that this day is coming. This day is coming, brothers and sisters. We're in the preparation stages, and so we have no reason to ever be caught unaware. We don't have to worry about when this day is because we will be prepared. If we know this, we know and we can agree with the Apostle Paul that living in faith, hope, and love is the way for us to be prepared for the day of the Lord. Now there's a clear line being drawn in this passage, if you guys can see it. Paul points out that the destruction that awaits after the final judgment is awaiting those that have rejected the gospel of grace. But for the church, the people that love Jesus, 
there is salvation awaiting them. Verses 9 to 10. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. He has appointed us. This appointment comes out of his sovereignty. He's the one who has saved us. The one who has saved us keeps us persevering until the very end. He keeps us going. For he who began a good work in us will complete it. With our first sermon in our series, Kairos, we saw that the wheat and the weeds grow up together, looking quite similar. But in time, there will be differentiation. You will be able to tell the difference. We see now the reason for it. God continues to work in those that he has saved, and we continue to change in our conduct, in our way of life, in our commitment to be discipled in Christ. And this is a present day thing. We don't have to think about it as a future thing. If you find today that there exists within you this desire to grow in Christ, it's a desire to know him more and more in order to love him more and more. But this isn't a normative thing. It's not normal for human beings to feel this way. This is a work of the Holy Spirit in us. It's evidence, it's blessed assurance that he's causing you to grow in holiness until the day of the Lord. It's a reminder, it's reassurance that you are in Christ. If the inclination of your heart, however, is to say instead, well, I'll do what I want until the very last minute when I'm mortally injured and I'm laying there, dying, and then I'll quickly love Jesus. You know, people think these things. I've thought this thing in the past, right? This is evidence of the state of your heart at this present moment. It's a desire for discipleship in the opposite direction, in the way of sin rather than in Jesus. Just as discipleship in Christ causes you to grow towards loving him more and more, discipleship in that opposite direction means growth in the opposite direction. It means hatred towards Jesus. It means love for sin and for the ways of this world. We're all being discipled one way or the other. There's no other middle ground. Verses five to eight. For you're all children of light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness. So then, let us not sleep like the rest, but let us stay awake and be self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. This verse really works only in context, okay? But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled and put on the armor of faith and love and a helmet of the hope of salvation. If you're here, if you're listening to this, wherever you're at, and you're feeling this pinprick of conviction in your hearts, know this, the God who loves you is calling out to you. Whether or not you're in Christ, whether or not you consider yourself a Christian, if you feel that conviction, he's telling you that it doesn't have to be this way, that you can live in the light as a child of the day and seek faith hope and love in Christ Jesus. The time for discipleship is now. 
It's not tomorrow as we look to push it off and try to squeeze in all these other things that ultimately won't end in our satisfaction. You will have these moments of clarity after you've done all these things, after you've pursued all these things, when you lay there unsatisfied. It's definitely not later when the day of the Lord comes and it's too late. The way that you live is the way that you train your heart day by day. Here are some questions that you can answer for yourself that might give you an idea of where you're at when it comes to discipleship. How many people know specifically what you're most tempted by? Do you have friendships where people know the things that tend to burden and overwhelm you most? How many people know the specific idols that still call your heart home? How many people know about the past wounds that you have that become scars and traumas for you? Do people know these things? Do people know about your past? How many people know the reasons that you still doubt God's goodness to this very day? It's okay if you do, but how many people actually know about it? Or do you struggle with it on your own? And how many people could you answer these questions about? Who knows you? That's the bottom line. Who knows you? Our lives are meant for more than living in isolation. We've all faced a little bit of physical, emotional isolation over the past few years, right? Like some of us more recently than others. But a great many of us have done spiritual isolation for that much longer, for as long as we can remember. We might still be doing it now. I was once part of a group of guys that used to meet together every couple of weeks. We used to talk and, and share about our lives. And early on, we were accountable in name only. You know, you ever meet with an accountability group and you just don't talk about anything. You know, how are you doing? Yeah, good. Sports is fun, you know. Rarely going beyond the surface. I couldn't answer many of these previous questions that I presented to you just a moment ago. All this discipled us towards was how to be secretive. You know, how to be more defensive. How to hide things a little bit better. How not to confess. How to not repent. And ultimately, how to not experience the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, but to continue to rely on our own works instead. We're called to more than this, brothers and sisters. Our lives are meant to be lived in community. Our lives are meant to be more than just on our own. Our lives are meant to be lived in the family of God, and you have great access here at New Life, some ways to deepen these bonds as well. Some of you guys have very recently experienced a little foretaste of this at Refine, right? When you were able to actually speak about Jesus for a few days. Verses 14 to 22. And we exhort you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle, comfort the discouraged, help the weak, be patient with everyone. See to it that no one repays evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good for one another and for all. Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Don't stifle the spirit. Don't despise prophecies, but test all things. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. You know, when you live in community with one another, 
You're able to warn and to be warned. You're able to comfort and to be comforted. And you're able to help and to be helped as well. You can be challenged to grow, you can be encouraged to love, and you can be blessed to be a blessing. Living in this way, in discipleship, in the context of community, your life will begin to be shaped by the relationships that you're a part of. As you experience the love and the grace of Jesus Christ through the way that those that disciple you, those that you disciple, speak the truth in love. And you recognize more and more that you are accepted into this community, even in your loving honesty, which reveals everything about you. Your deepest flaws, your deepest fears, the sins that still have a hold of your heart. You'll no longer be afraid about what's revealed in your heart and your life. This is loving honesty. In that way, you can also speak the truth and love to others in discipleship relationships, just as you've also received. A pair of verses here, Ephesians and Romans. But speaking the truth and love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. And then in Romans, that God proves his own love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If Jesus himself loves us at our darkest, certainly, then in our new life family, we can extend that kind of grace towards one another as well. The children of light in God's great family. If we're in Christ, we're no longer in the greatest darkness. And so we can extend that kind of love. Surely we can. In being loved and accepted like this, there's a humbling act that we have to embrace as we go deeper into this kind of relationship, that we have to stop trying to explain away our sins or defending our actions endlessly, right? Like premarital counseling, guys, you guys know this, right? We talk about this quite often. You're already accepted and loved, already accepted and loved. There's no longer a need to argue your own righteousness. We still sin. I still have sin. I freely admit that before you. I don't try to defend it and say, this is the reason for it. I do try to defend it. You can talk to my wife. I do try to defend it. But our need for help is what brought us here. This is what qualifies us. Our actual need for help is the thing that makes us children of God, not our perceived goodness or holiness. And in this, the reverse is also true, that you can also be an approachable, humble, welcoming brother or sister to the family of God that we have here in new life. Jesus Christ, knowing what only God knows about you, even what you don't know about yourself, he knows your past failures, he knows your current sinful habits, and he knows the way that you stumble in the future. He went to the cross for your sake, despite knowing that you would rebel so many times and turn away, despite knowing that you would doubt and your faith would grow weak, he died for you. So discipleship means recognizing this. Nothing more can be revealed about you 
that Jesus Christ hasn't already atoned for at the cross. In that beautiful exchange, where the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus accomplished all of these things for us, we're adopted into God's family. As children of God, we have reason to welcome in our brothers and sisters in Christ with honesty, humility, and a desire to grow in Christ together. So meet with intentionality. Don't meet one another frivolously, but meet with intentionality. In church, in ministries, in friendships, whatever relationships exist outside of church, be intentional about these things. Don't just drift through your life. Just as God himself is community. You know, we, we sang the creed a little while ago, right? God himself is in community in the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are three equal and distinct members of the Godhead. Not only do they live in community with one another, they're constantly in agreement with one another. They're perfectly functioning completely in community. Everything Jesus does is in full agreement with the Father and the Spirit and vice versa, you know, with the Father and the Spirit as well. All three members of the Trinity live, move, and speak as one. That's where our community is headed. When God made human beings in his image, this is the way that he designed us, in the same communal way. This means that you'll never properly be who you're meant to be, who you were designed to be. You'll never do what you were designed to do without intentional community living. Discipleship relationships, here and now, that's what we need to actually live in that way. Relationships that are humble, approachable, consistent, committed, honest, and intentional in Christ. This teaching about final events from 1 Thessalonians, it's meant to inform and encourage the Thessalonian church and, and us as well in daily conduct, in daily life. That means that by extension, we in the modern church who hear this teaching can also receive encouragement and exhortation towards our daily life and conduct. This is the most practical thing that we can do. Our discipleship now, not later, now, today. That's the timing of discipleship, now. Don't put it off anymore. As we consider the end clearly, we can be encouraged to live as Christians in the present. I encourage everyone, open your heart. Pray for God to give you a heart for discipleship and pray for these relationships in your life as well. You'll be surprised who comes into your life to disciple you or to be discipled by you. We're gonna have times for uh, sign-ups to life groups as sign-ups open up very shortly. So um, along with that, you know, today we're gonna have a time when the ministry directors talk about their ministries that they're directing, so register your interest in serving in a ministry as well. Maybe that's the way that you can encounter discipleship relationships and grow. And otherwise, meet one another with intention to talk about Jesus and to extend grace towards one another. Why don't we pray together? Father God, I thank you that you 
are so loving and so near to us. You're never absent. You're always close. Whether we close our eyes to sleep, whether we open them to awake, there you are. And you've been with us the whole time. You've been watching us. Even in the times of night, when we stay awake, keeping watch throughout the night on behalf of those that we love, on behalf of the helpless ones around the world, we find that we're only joining you. For you never sleep, you never falter, you never grow weary. We thank you, Lord, that whatever we throw at you, whatever is revealed about our lives, you're not taken by surprise, but you know already. And in that is love and comfort, knowing, Lord, that you have accepted us, that you've given your son to die the death that we deserved, that we might live the life that is his. It's amazing that we can be adopted into your family, that we can be called sons and daughters of the Most High, that we might welcome in brothers and sisters among us, just as Jesus did for us. To give us that responsibility, to give us that privilege, it's incredible, it's awe-inspiring. It's such a, indeed a privilege. It's an honor that we get to share in that glory with you, to share about your goodness, your grace, two brothers and sisters of ours. We thank you, Lord, that your son Jesus welcomes us in with open arms. And in fact, he died with open arms upon that cross that we might be welcomed into your family. We wanna live in that way. We wanna live with open arms towards our brothers and sisters, that we might welcome them in, that we might be gracious where they fall into sin that they might be able to find that they can confess and repent and be accepted in. Help us to live self-sacrificially, that we might die to ourselves daily, that we might take up our crosses daily, that we might sacrifice our comfort, our time, our money, our energy, whatever it might be, that we might participate in these discipleship relationships that we might humble ourselves to be discipled by one another, that we might humble ourselves to confess and repent before one another, all for the sake of the glory of your son, Jesus. We testify about his grace and we look to you once again, the author of life eternal, the one that keeps us persevering until the day that he returns. Be with us, help us to love you more and more. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.